0: Julie Hakim Azam, and welcome to another discussion on comics and the graphic memoir for Status Hour. I talk today with Ozgi Zamanci, who is assistant professor in the School of Communications at Northwestern University and the author of Dare to Disappoint, Growing Up in Turkey, a memoir told in comics published in 2015 by Faraj Strauss and Giroux. Hello and welcome, Ozgi. Hello. Thank you for having me think, sure. I wanted to just start off by saying that I really enjoyed reading this book a lot. Um, and I was particularly struck by equally by the art and the story. Um, unlike many other graphic works, there is a lot of color in this book. And there is also there's collage. There is what looks like photographs. So there's a lot going on visually. Um, it seems clearly an artist's graphic memoir. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about your process of making the book or how you even got started.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it, like the writing the story and making the art, they have different stories. Um, writing the story came out from a little book that I made for a friend many, many years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And that just, in that notebook, I feel my funny anecdotes about my mom and me. And then um then that little notebook became so popular among our friends, people were photocopying it and then just giving it to their friends. It almost it turned into a fanzine kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then um then like people would come to me, people I don't know in a party, they would run mm-hmm. and say, Let me tell you about my childhood. Mm-hmm. So then I realized that there is a power in lived stories since then i wanted to make an make a like autobiographical graphic novel mm-hmm. but the idea was so perfect in my mind so i couldn't get started to <laughs> making it and um after i came to states that's like 13 years ago i started a online comics journal called ordinary things mm-hmm. and then for that, I was just drawing uh, something that remained in my mind. And then I started um, slowly, like I, it was just drawings at the beginning. And in time, I started combining drawings with collage materials, like real things, napkins, leaves, pebbles. Those things started blending into my comics. And at the back of my mind, what I was trying to do is I wanted to create an aesthetic, that is so different than what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I make this book, a publisher would look at it and say, oh, this is so different, let's have this. Mm -hmm. So for five years, I just kept making comics every day for my online comics journal, and I developed this style there, the style of mixing things together, but not creating chaos, because like you can easily create chaos when you mix that many things. Mm
0: So that's the long answer of your question. Yeah, sure. Um, did you, were you influenced by anyone in particular? Yeah, I am. Like
1: I, um, I really, I'm a big fan of Linda Berry. Yeah. Um And um, I, I almost read like so much graphic novels, mm-hmm. so that mainly like the people I follow are from. United States, Turkey, and some from Europe. I think I can do better by opening my horizon to Middle Eastern artists too. Um, like, I like Chris Ware, I like Alison Bechdel, I like uh, Marjana Satrapi, of course, and um, from Turkish writers, I like Ur Gürsoy, Piale Madra, Mini, My list is very long.
0: Right. What, um, So in the book and people who have read the book will notice that you incorporate actual images from physical objects from your childhood, such as the television that was in your house or uh, a vase that would appear on the screen when something inappropriate came on or the radio, the Commodore 64 computer. Even these small touches like the eraser that you wore around your neck as a schoolgirl, the letters that the school, the disciplinary letters that... (laughs) Were <laughs> were sent to your parents from the school when you got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Everything was a very authentic, tactile, and sensory. And I'm wondering, were these the actual objects? Um, how did you how did you get that um, sense of detail and authenticity? Yeah.
1: I think like it's my it's it's uh, maybe unnecessary commitment to honesty. So since this is an autobiographical graphic novel. I'm, like, trying to tell it 100% I see it in my mind. Uh, So that, like, if I'm going to talk about a television, then I do a Google image search. Sometimes I spend hours to find those particular images. So we had, like, black and white TV. Mm -hmm. It was Rindik the brand name was that I found it in the depth of eBay or something. And then like I start drawing that image. It's kind of a funny obsession uh, or the letter that school sent to me. I don't have the original of that letter, but I try to create a letter that if it would be like real, it would look like that. So it's a drawing of something real, but at the core, I think, It's just my ambition to tell the story um,
0: the way that I remember. Right. And so by the opposite of that, where did you feel it was okay to depart from such an honest replication of things in reality and start to imagine what something was like that might not be 100% accurate?
1: There is that. Like, it's, it's a memoir. It's memory. You can never, like it's just something remembered our memory distort things but the thing is many of the stories i'm telling here are lived by other people so in time i check those stories with them so the main plot like main um issues are confirmed by many other people the like those things the memories um the things that memory does to us, distortion, that could happen in my feelings, right? Like I may misremember my emotions, things like that. But I think the facts are pretty much what it was.
0: Okay. Um, the uh, So I wanted to ask you some questions about the your artwork. And you, you mentioned how you spent 5 years doing um, almost a daily comic mm-hmm. on ordinary things and if yeah. uh, people who are listening to this haven't checked it out they should you have um you're still doing it it seems yeah <laughs> it's uh, ordinarycomics.com ordinarycomics.com um but you had kept this going much much longer before you were doing the book um One of the things that you do in your book visually is you break down the convention of having panels. So like comics are defined by these panels. Um, And people who have read the kind of textbook for comics, uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, he says that the panels act as a sort of general indicator that time or space is being divided. Mm -hmm. And many of your pages don't have that. and you often have the experience as a reader of having images and text that sometimes overlap or blend with each other and it produces this feeling like how do you read? Do you read the page from the top down? Do you read it from left to right? Um, Do you kind of go around in a circle and look around at the images? So it's very challenging and different um, the, the way that you have divided and made use of the space. So I'm just wondering about this particular thing. Can you talk about your approach to making comics without those traditional panels?
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe here I may be thinking slightly different than you, but, or maybe we are thinking same but saying it differently. I think there are panels in the book. The only missing thing is I don't have frame borders. So like the, um, the, they have invisible frame borders. The reason I don't want to draw a frame around them because memory is kind of blurry, like it blends, it's like watercolor, right? So that I wanted to give that feeling. It's not like um, one fact after another. Uh, But when you don't have frames, of course, there is the challenge of directing the reader's eye. The, The worst thing that could happen, a reader gets lost and they don't know which frame to look at. So if that's happening in the reading, then I would feel very sad, uh, but mostly um, mostly there is a direction for the eye of the reader, sure. so that like I use the some invisible graphic design strategies to lead the reader's eye, mm-hmm. so they won't get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if if it's getting lost in the like big collage pages, they are like looking at it in a random order. Then, then for that page, possibly it's okay because um, you can get the message whichever you read it. It's more about the feeling, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't. I never had the experience where I was getting lost. I just oh, felt I'm like so glad to hear um, that. <laughs> no, no, like <laughs> that. It, um, yeah. I would it yeah. look at something and come back to it. So it, it, it had a nice um, sort of reflective quality. Yeah. To that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, i was wondering. In an interview that you did with somebody else, you mentioned that you used materials as metaphors. And I was wondering if you could talk about what you meant.
1: Yeah. So, um, for example, not always. That's my main intention. Sometimes it's just two interesting materials getting together. For example, in one place, I was going to paint the night sky Mm -hmm. and then I use mustard for that. Like I painted with mustard, just plain mustard, and then I just, it's yellow on top of white paper, Mm -hmm. and then I inverted that image on Photoshop, and it has this deep blues and blacks, very like wonderful night sky it turns into. So there is not a metaphor there Mm -hmm. from mustard to night sky. But for example, in a place when I am drawing a nasty character, um, like a... Uh, principal of the high school Uh, then I use the coffee splash as the background of the character so like it seems untidy it seems nasty so in that sense like I painted with coffee spill uh, to convey the feeling of something unclean something out of control so the um material and metaphor thing coming that way mm-hmm.
0: i also read that you used sourdough bread to paint the waves on the cover of the book is I did. True? can you talk about that yeah so um i was having
1: the image of the sea in my mind mm-hmm. and it was it was this long choppy sea because of the growing up process is very choppy and difficult and tragic in many cases as a metaphor of that right and, and I think with metaphors, so like almost every image is some kind of metaphor in the book. Um, that I tried many things. I tried sponge. I tried brushes. It's not happening the way I want. And I was hopeless. And then when you're hopeless, what do you do? You go to the kitchen and nibble on something. <laughs> and, then right. and then when I entered the kitchen, I saw the bread. And then I just tried it with bread. Ah, and, okay. But we had the... Whole wheat bread, healthy bread. And, <laughs> and I thought, like, if this had bigger holes, it would be great. I immediately went to the supermarket and got a sort of mm-hmm. bread. And that gave the exact good result. Wow. But then, then, like, I don't know if uh, in other cultures this may happen too. In Turkish culture, bread is holy. Mm-hmm. So when, I, when we were a kid, we never, like, left the bread on the ground. We picked it up, we kissed it three times, put it on our forehead and placed it on somewhere high. So it was a little painful for me to dip the sword or bread (laughs)
0: into blue paint. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I see that. What... um... Uh, so so getting so we 've been talking a lot about uh, how you made the the artwork and the artistic elements, but um, as to the content, so you have a very personal narrative of growing up, and yet politics and the history creep in now and then and there are points when you discuss the civil war, the coup, the conflict between Turkey and Cyprus, and many other things. Mm-hmm. I was wondering um whose viewpoint are you giving here um, the narrator seems to be trying to give an objective perspective on historical events mm-hmm. um, Did you feel that way, or was it hard for you to try to represent an objective voice on history
1: i think um like in in some cases it's what's being taught at the school like the um mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of. Mixed voices coming in. If you think about the like Atatürk chapter, it's there is the voice of the teacher, which is which is the voice of the um, military military who made the coup. So they are determining what we are going to learn at the school, mm-hmm. and um, and then there is the voice of my uncle who is a rebel, right. and mm-hmm. there is the voice of me, a seven year old. Um, hearing the events and trying to figure it out three voices are overlapping into each other so that i try to avoid uh, saying things this is true this is false you should believe in this mostly i try to bring the uh, facts in layers to show that situation is complicated and what i was mostly interested was the impact of politics on a middle class family Mm -hmm. like the big things are happening constantly out of us but as a middle class family we were very very dependent on the historical or political events around us
0: yeah Yeah, there is a little bird that you draw that sometimes appears on the pages and it's usually I don't know if if it's usually coming up with politics in history, but I seem to notice it in these cases. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a point where General Evren says, we will bring democracy, and there's a little bird that perches beside him, and says, liar. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could talk about this bird. Um, who is this bird? What does the bird represent for you? And what process in the book did you decide to use that bird as an additional voice? Questions.
1: Yeah. The, um, one... One big challenge while making this book was, um, I was talking about politics of an history of Turkey to explain the family dynamics and the decisions we made. But this, the book is not about politics. book is about how we go through the, uh, life. But I was telling the story in my mind to my friends. That was my audience in my mind. Mm -hmm. But uh, my editor constantly reminded me that the readers will not have any clue about Turkish history or politics. Mm -hmm. So the challenge was I had to explain everything. Like if I say my friends Atatürk or military coup, Mm -hmm. I don't have to define them. Who is Atatürk? What is his role in the history of Turkey? Or what, what does a military coup mean? When did it happen? But for an American reader, I had to, or for a reader, I had to explain that. When I tried to explain everything, the book became so didactic. So that was on the second draft. I did six drafts of the book. Mm. And at some point, uh, my editor kind of sort of knew my ordinary comics thing. And this little bird was a character um, in ordinary things. And she suggested, actually, how about the you bring the little bird here to just bring these, make these explanations Mm -hmm. because I was desperately looking for a way of bringing this factual information in night without being didactic. Mm -hmm. So bird came from my online comics and gained that mission. And I always avoided uh, giving like, it's just, I kind of made the bird cynical. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, that it again layers, it brings another layer of the information. Like in that example you are giving, he's saying democracy, and then the bird is saying liar.
0: So who is right? Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, another facet of the book is, is uh, you are struggling to discover what you want to do with your life, and you, um, you have a lot of economic pressure as well as pressure from family. Um, the advice you frequently got from family, which is that you need to pursue a practical or safe career such as engineering, and that you can do your passion as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And there's this great moment in the book when you say, I was not talking about a hobby, I was talking about a passion. And I think a lot of us have gotten this advice from family members about um, an idea that we want to pursue a creative career. Uh, because of economic hardships or this this region of the world. It's just very hard to live and have a creative career. Um, I've sometimes felt myself that the struggle to do creative work feels like an indulgence mm-hmm. that many people in the world cannot afford or that it's a childish dream that you need to shed and just grow up, <laughs> do something yes. you know, um, truly adult. And I was wondering if... Um, if you felt like that, and if so, how did you dismiss those? and I think that's very much connected to disappointing people
1: like that um are you asking how I followed my passion?
0: Yeah, I guess that could that could be a good way to rephrase the question yeah, um
1: i like i I still do a couple things at the same time. my main problem in life. I don't know if it's a problem, but the situation, I never focused on one thing. So here I am, I'm a assistant professor at Northwestern University, and I'm teaching interactive art, mm-hmm. which is making art with code and with sensors. So like I'm somewhat still um, connected to mathematics or the technical mm-hmm. part of the world, the way I was trained. And And then on on the other side, I'm making comics and graphic novels. Sometimes these two separate paths are merging into each other. Sometimes they are staying separate. So I sometimes dream about just making comics in life and not being an academic or scholar. And so that challenge that I describe in the book actually still continuing in my life. I I followed my passion and I didn't end up in a cubicle, uh, but I still do two things. Like both of them coming out of passion, but I need both of them. Like one for maybe bringing the bread home. The right, yeah, like until comics gain that power. Maybe in the future, like I can totally live on comics, but it's not happening yet. So um, my luck is both things I love is some sort of passion.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. And like the, the way that it worked, it's nothing one can do alone. I think I got great help from, I got support from my sister and um, I got support from my friends. Um, and then the main thing is being persistent and not giving up like that i cannot remember how many times i have been rejected but yesterday i just got rejected from something that was important to me it's just like it shouldn't stop you you just keep going keep going you apply 10 things one of them happens you focus on that one and now you work like crazy mm-hmm. just then then life kind of transforms into your passion but then at the side, many artists do things that they have to do. Like, I know very famous comics artists who worked in the photocopy shop, right? Just making copies. Uh-huh. Like, that happened too. <laughs> so that it's not, like, it's not like you just follow your passion and you are in the land of making art and you don't ever have to serve coffee or clean tables or clean the bathroom, you do those (laughs) things.
0: (laughs) Right, Right. that's a a good reality check. Yeah, there's
1: just like you have to do both sometimes.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, The the other thing is um, so few people are pure talent. Majority of people, I am in that category too, that it's not the talent, it's the hard work you put into. Mm -hmm. So that some of us have to work really hard
0: yeah, they, um, I think that's really reflected in your book. Uh, oh, there's this really painful chapter about you're struggling to get your um, college degree in mathematics. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just something that doesn't come easy to you. No, and it you, didn't. And, Yeah, and I would have said... been
1: 10 years younger if I wouldn't study that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you said before that you got a lot of support from your sister and friends, and I think that part of the book also shows how they... Shepherded you, through, yeah, they did. through uh, your degree and tutored and helped you. I was wondering, um, did you regret that as wasted time? What is the use of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, I, I, I do sometimes, and sometimes I appreciate I did that. That studying mathematics was the hardest thing, and completing that was the hardest thing I did because. I just didn't have the passion for it, but once I was once I got over that barrier, I really gained the power of looking at things in analytically or seeing the larger whole without getting lost in the details mm-hmm. so and that that became so helpful for comics or for the interactive art that I am building now mm-hmm. um, it's the only thing I wish that I wish I would know when I was studying mathematics that I don't have to be a mathematician and I don't have to end up in a cubicle uh, helping an insurance company make money. Like, I couldn't see the possibilities. There were no role models. There, were, there was no example. So I felt really trapped in what I got into. Like, there weren't such things as changing careers. There weren't such concepts as... Going and having a master's degree on a different field. When I thought about it, I thought, who wants me? I studied mathematics. How can I go study art?
0: Right, it seemed right.
1: impossible. Yeah. If if I had that hope, then I would be happy in the math department. Mm-hmm. So and actually it's a good thing to study. It just very like gives the basics of thinking to you. Right. Right. Yeah. But if I if I had a chance to go back, I would possibly study architecture, no. I wouldn't be architect, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, like going and studying fine arts, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I would want to study something else. That's interesting. So it has like taught you how to think. Yeah. And yeah. discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask you about making mistakes. Um, no, there, uh, that is a theme that runs through your book. Um, my children have this book called Beautiful Oops, and it's just a children's book, and it shows you how you can turn mistakes, such as a coffee stain on your paper or a rip on your paper or an ink stain into a, a piece of art. Yeah. And like mistakes are not really mistakes in that you need to look at things differently to see the potential. And I was wondering, um, uh, with your book and your blog, uh, you do a lot of experiment with turning mistakes into pieces of uh, of art, and, <laughs> and talk about shifting your perspective on what was meant to be. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how you view mistakes or how mistakes get incorporated into your art and comics. Yeah, yeah, I wish
1: I know what you're talking about so well, but it came to me kind of an instinct. It emerged from this challenge I gave to myself when I started. Ordinary Things, the online comics journal, I told myself that you have to post one drawing every day. And um, so, when and I was a graduate student at Georgia Tech, very demanding school, mm-hmm. so finding that time was very challenging. Mm-hmm. I did it. I think for two, three years, I posted one comic every day. Mm-hmm. And during that time, of course, mistakes were happening, and I was just living, rolling with it. And there, there I discovered um, the potential of it. The other thing, The oh yeah, I remember now, The um, before I made ordinary things, mm-hmm. I would have these little notebooks that I carried with me wherever I went. I would draw something in it, but the drawing wouldn't happen the way I want. It, mm-hmm. there, it would have mistakes. And I started closing the mistakes with electrical tape. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had electrical tape with me. And then I realized like, oh, like you can recover from these mistakes and it turns into something more beautiful. And my collage thing started from those mixing drawings with electrical tape. Mm. And the core of it was just covering the mistakes. So it totally started from the place that you are describing.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting.
1: And and then like it's easier to do it in the art if you can do it in your real life then you would be a
0: possibly a um i don't know <laughs> Buddhist person something like that right yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is very like Zen or Buddhist um what uh, just to kind of close out a little bit, um can you talk about how the book is being received in Turkey
1: yeah um the i mean in I'll mention that it's being translated to Korean, mm-hmm. uh, Dutch, and Turkish. And then this morning I was just invited to Germany, mm-hmm. to Berlin. So maybe hopefully something emerged from there too. Mm-hmm. Turkey, um, it's the, the book is in English right. for now, and it's in the process of translation. I translated it, um, and it will come next year. So when it's in English, it's addressing a more an like educated group of people who had access to language education among them is received very well like whenever they bring it to the bookstore it's immediately selling out in the first couple days mm-hmm. um, and i received so many encouraging emails from people many many long emails that people went through similar problems mm-hmm. and um, so the, the main reaction is really really good
0: Right now, it's interesting because you talked about how you had to kind of explain the context of what what it was like growing up in Turkey and the politics. Um, so if it is being translated to a Turkish audience, I think some of that <laughs> is probably not necessary. But you're you're keeping everything how it is, and you're doing the translation yourself to Turkish.
1: Yeah, I, I did that. I uh, I think that's the. It's very hard to translate a graphic mm-hmm. novel. So much is getting lost. Uh, when someone does it, somebody else tried it, I think it wasn't there, so I had to jump in okay, okay yeah,
0: yeah, yeah so, and, uh, do you have anything else that you're working on now? Any other
1: yeah projects I, Yes, I started thinking about I mean planning the next book, so I know the main frame of the next book um
0: it will have two
1: characters one an um, an American person coming to Turkey to live mm-hmm. and another character, a male graduate student coming to United States to live. So we're going to read their stories in parallel. Okay. And um, that's... I'm just figuring out how they relate to each okay. other. I, I can't wait to write down the story. Most fun part for me is, of course, making the art. But there is a long way to get there.
0: Yes, I can imagine. So it will be... It will be like a graphic style work? or yes, always. Work. yes, it will be
1: graphic style. Very, the aesthetic will be similar to there to disappoint, possibly.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, but I may use frame borders this time. We're going to see.
0: Okay. Well, I'm, people will look forward to that um, whenever it does, <laughs> when you write it and publish it. Um, thank you so much for spending the time to talk with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for wonderful questions. Thank
0: you. Yeah. <sweak>